Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Epiphany's Podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit epiphanyligonier.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. By the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to know your word better, that we may love you and others more rightly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, again, it is such a delight to be here. Brian and I have known each other since we were 18 or 19 years old, uh, you know, which is a long time to know someone and a dangerous time in your life to know someone and then know them as adults as well. Um, But it's so nice to see where he's ministering and so nice to meet you all. And thank you all uh, that I've spoken with for such a warm welcome. I really appreciate it. Uh, So this morning, uh, we are looking at Genesis 26, which is your first reading in your bulletin. Brian tells me that you are in a sermon series entitled The Gospel of Genesis. So he told me that, and I was very excited. I really enjoy the Old Testament. I love seeing how the Old Testament connects to the Gospel, how the Old Testament connects to the story that's leading towards Jesus. So I got really excited, and I agreed to do this, and then I read the scripture that he had assigned me, and I thought, what a strange little passage he just gave me. Of all of the stories in Genesis, I was curious why he had assigned me this one. And why I thought it was strange was not so much for what it actually talks about, right? We have a famine, we have foreign leaders, we have kind of danger. These are themes that we see throughout the Old Testament, and we see them throughout Genesis. What surprised me about this text was that it is positioned in this very unique place. Chapter 26, this story of Isaac, which goes past verse 6 and tells a longer story of he and Rebekah living in this land, it is smushed between two other stories. And the story that goes before it is a story of Isaac and Rebekah's twin adult sons. Jacob and Esau. So there's a story of Jacob and Esau kind of squabbling over the birthright. And then right after our story of Isaac is another story of Jacob and Esau squabbling over the blessing, the the blessing that their father would give them. And so right in the middle, we have kind of this interesting story that comes from a time before the boys were born. This is before Isaac and Rebecca had children. And so obviously the chronology is not in order. And when an author does that in the Bible, we often should kind of sit up and take note. We wonder what they were doing by placing that story uh, where they did, because it's obviously done for a reason, right? So in Genesis, we traditionally understand the author to be Moses. So this morning, we're going to talk about what connection was Moses trying to make? What was he trying to show us with this story and where he placed it about the wider story of scripture? And then our second task for this morning is going to be to see then how those connections made in the capacity of the Old Testament relate to us as New Testament believers, as the church. How does it relate to modern Christians? So that's what we're going to do this morning. 
But to do that effectively, we're gonna, if you'll indulge me for just two minutes of a little genealogical refresher. I know that's everybody's favorite part of studying the scriptures is the genealogies. Um, and I'm sure that you have done this in your sermon series, but it's just so important to understanding this text. So just a little refresher that Abraham is the father of Israel. Right? To Abraham was promised that his descendants would become the family line, would become the chosen people who we call Israel. And they're the people that we trace throughout the Old Testament. So the initial covenant, the initial promise is made to Isaac and Sarah, or pardon me, to Abraham and Sarah. And then Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac. They also have another son, but that's for a different day and another story. They have a son, Isaac. Isaac marries Rebecca, and they are the focus of our story for this morning. And then they have twin sons named Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the second son, but he will carry the line on. He will go on to father 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's the genealogy we're looking at. That's the family line. So have that in mind as we dive into our story, because it's going to become really important. So we begin our story, and we find out in verse 1 that there's a famine in the land, besides the former famine. So what the author's talking about is that there was a famine that Isaac's father Abraham also endured in a foreign land. So not that one. This famine was happening. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, and he had decided that he was going to go to Egypt. We know that from the next verse they had decided to go to Egypt because Egypt was the breadbasket of that part of the country. Gerar, and where they were sojourning, where King Abimelech was ruling, was the southern region of the Promised Land. It's the southern region of this swath of land that God will give to this family line one day. But he hasn't done it yet. And so they are foreigners in this land. And the southern uh, territory of the Promised Land is notorious for uh, not having kind of good sources of water. And actually, we're told in another part of Scripture that the Lord did this on purpose. He gives these people this land so that they will have to rely on him to provide for them. They won't have rivers. They won't have access to water in the same way, for instance, Egypt does. He wants these people to have faith completely in him. So there's this famine. They, they want to go to Egypt where the food is, where the water is. And that makes a whole lot of earthly sense. A lot of us would probably make the same decision, right? But the Lord, like he so often does when we are about to do the thing that we think makes a lot of sense, he stops him. And so he comes to Isaac. And in verse 2, we hear the Lord appears to him and says, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I tell you. Sojourn in this land. Now, we don't want to miss what a big request the Lord is making of Isaac. He's asking him to stay in a land where there's not enough food, when he could easily, perhaps not easily, but he could travel to a land where he would most certainly find more food. He's asking him to stay in a really hard place. He's asking him also to stay in a place where he's relying on the hospitality of a foreign people. There's no guarantees that King Abimelech and the Philistines are going to be gracious to he and his wife. There's no guarantees. And so Isaac and Rebekah are being asked to stay in a place where there's a lot of uncertainty. Right? They could even die. 
they certainly will suffer. That's the ask that the Lord is making of them. So we don't want to miss the enormity of that. I think what the Lord's really asking is, will you put your faith entirely in me, even though it doesn't make sense? Now, this is a pivotal moment for Isaac. I think that's one of the reasons we get this story uh, so clearly with so much description. This was a pivotal moment, much like Isaac's father Abraham had. Now, if you did not do um, the story of Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac as part of this series, you let me know after service, and I will take it up with Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Because there is almost no clearer place that we see the gospel than we see a father being asked to sacrifice his son. And of course, we know that that's what happens on the cross. Um, But that was the pivotal moment also for Abraham. In his journey with the Lord, the Lord also was asking him, will you put your faith entirely in me? Abraham passes that test, right? He's willing to sacrifice Isaac, his only beloved son, the son that they had waited for forever, the son of promise. He was willing to sacrifice him. And so now Isaac is faced with a similar choice, right? The same pivotal moment, and we get the answer to how Isaac goes forward. We see it in verse six, right at the end of our passage. And it's so simply stated, so Isaac settled in Gerar. So Isaac did what the Lord asked him to do, even though it didn't make any sense. And so he passes this test. He says, yes, I will put my faith in you. And he messes it up a lot of times after this, as do all of the people in the Bible. But he gets it right in this moment. He says, essentially, I will make the God of my father my God as well. I'm going to trust this God in the same way that my father did. Now, that connection, I think, is very important. So we look at this, and we see some similarities between Abraham and Isaac. And then we have this Isaac story that's sandwiched in between the stories of his sons, Jacob and Esau. And so I think, I think what Moses was trying to get us to see was God's generational promises being passed from generation to generation. We sometimes make a mistake, particularly when we read the Old Testament. We kind of hold up these guys or these women uh, as people we want to be like, right? Wouldn't it be so wonderful to have the faith of Abraham, to have the faith of Isaac? And of course, the answer is yes, it would be great to have that kind of faith. But that's not the point of the story. Humans are never the hero in these stories. What Moses is trying to get us to see is this generational faithfulness. He's drawing attention away from the main characters of our story and putting the attention on the God who has made the promises and the God who has kept the promises from generation to generation. We are seeing that he is the hero, that he is the one that is guiding history and guiding this family. And so that's where we pick up this promise. He made a promise and a covenant with Abraham. Now the Lord will make a promise and a covenant with Isaac. And we see that in verse 4 of our scripture. It says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and will give you offspring all, uh, give your, uh, to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And we want to make note of that, too. This generational faithfulness, 
these promises that the Lord was keeping was to bless this chosen people, this family line, but it wasn't just to bless them. They were meant to then in turn bless the rest of the world. They were to be the people that showed the rest of the world that this God wants to be with us. He wants to be with his people. He wants to reconcile and make right. He wants to be near his creation. They were meant to bless all of the nations. Now, if you know your Old Testament history, you know that they fail miserably at that over and over again. There's these moments of beautiful and strong faith from the leaders and from the nation. But for just as many stories of that in the Old Testament, we get stories of failure where they stop putting their trust in the Lord. And even as Israel breaks their promises throughout the Old Testament, we see over and over again a God who keeps his promises. He's always faithful even to people who aren't faithful to him. And so this family line doesn't stop in the Old Testament. And here's where we see these connections that Moses was trying to make applying to us today. We get to the New Testament and we find Jesus, God incarnate. God come to earth. That's how much he wanted to be with us. That's how much, how the lengths he was willing to go to keep his promises. He knew that we would never keep up our end of the bargain. He saw through the people Israel. They couldn't do it. He knew it. He knew we couldn't do it. My mom and I have this story. She's so supportive, just a lovely woman. And I was trying to, I don't remember, it was some big task. And I just came to her in tears. And I said, Mom, I did, I can't. I can't. It's just not working. And she, she held me and she said, honey, I knew you couldn't do it. And I just love that story because she loves me whether I can do it or not. Uh, and that's the love and this promise that we have from the Lord. And he's so committed to being with his people. He's so committed to keeping his promises that he comes and in the person of Jesus keeps our side of the bargain. That's what happens on the cross. He takes on our sin. He fulfills the law. He reconciles. He does both sides of it because we couldn't do it for ourselves. So part of this generational promise and faithfulness is leading us to the gospel, is leading us to the cross where we see the ultimate expression of his faithfulness, of his willingness to stay with his people. So we're headed towards the cross and we get Jesus as we continue this line. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, we start hearing language in the New Testament, like we are a branch that has been grafted into this family tree. And so suddenly now this relates to us in a very real way. We are that branch. The Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, all of the nations that were meant to be blessed have now been blessed by Jesus and have been brought in not by our good behavior, not by anything we did right, but because we now trust in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who became incarnate and dwelt among us, we put our full faith in Jesus. To be part of this family line, all that's asked of us is the same thing that was asked of Abraham and Isaac. It's just asking, can we put our full trust in Jesus and what he accomplished for us? We don't have to do anything besides that. 
So that's the question that we come to today. And if we answer in the affirmative, then we find that we are now part of this family line. This is our lineage. These are our promises. And so when God tells Isaac, I will be with you, that is also a promise to us. We see that later in Deuteronomy. God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We hear that promise again after Jesus' death and resurrection while he's giving the great commission to his disciples. He says, surely I will be with you even to the very end of the age. The faithfulness, the generational faithfulness of the God of Isaac and Jacob and the church is the same Lord, the same character, So we can trust in him the way that they did. We trust in him to never abandon us, to never forsake us. And isn't that a sweet word? In this place we are in, in our country right now. We don't get to choose when we're born. We don't get to choose what happens in the world around us. We just be his people in the midst of it. That's the choice we get to make. And we can only do that can only fulfill the Great Commission. We can only bless all the nations like Israel was supposed to. We are the true church. We are the new Israel. We are to carry on that command to bless those around us, to bring people into this family. But we can only do that, particularly in times that are so uncertain, like they are right now, when we remember that no matter what happens, no matter who is our president, no matter what is going on in our country or in your own personal lives. The promise is not that we won't suffer. The promise is not that we won't struggle or wonder what's going on. The promise is always that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so as we think about these generational promises to Isaac and in our story today, or pardon me, to Abraham and in our story today to Isaac, Remember that these are promises that are now made to us, the church, as well. They're made to you as part of this family line that's been grafted in because of Jesus. So let's go out knowing that the Lord is with us and try to bless the nations, or at least bless our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Ligonier, Pennsylvania.